sweet. So our last time in Proverbs together, uh, you could guess where to turn, but you would be a little bit wrong, but I'll, I'll tell you that in a moment. But you can get to the book of Proverbs, and I'll tell you specifically in a moment where we're going to be. But this is our final time together in this way. It doesn't mean you can never read the book of Proverbs again. Uh, it just means that for our challenge, uh, we're coming to completion. Uh, and, you know, our prayer is that this would have deepened your relationship with God. This was not just to increase, remember, your knowledge. This was so that you could begin to implement the wisdom of God in your life. Um, you know, my desire for you guys is that you would not learn the hard way. Do you know what it means to learn something the hard way? Do you guys know what that means? So the thing with learning it the hard way, it means, it means experiencing it for yourself and rejecting someone else's counsel and wisdom. Now, there are typically two ways to learn, and that is either the hard way or it's God's way. Uh, either one you'll learn, there's just a path that is much more enjoyable, and that's the path of God's wisdom. And so I would love for you guys to be able to have the testimony of, man, I, I'm not perfect, but I have been walking in God's ways. Now, some of you guys are just very stubborn, and so you're going to end up walking in your own ways, and you're going to find out for yourself it doesn't go very well, but you don't have to. You don't have to learn the hard way. Um, there is another one, and that is God's way. And so hopefully through the, the wisdom that Proverbs has provided for us, uh, that will have drawn you closer to Jesus. Now, in preparing our time today, uh, knowing that this was our last time in Proverbs, I, I felt led uh, to actually not be in chapter 29 as we typically would be because today is January what? 29th. 29th. Uh, but uh, I figured I could do what I want. So we're going to be in chapter 28 and uh, we're going to be looking at a message entitled Bold as Lions. Bold as Lions. And we're going to be looking at the first verse of chapter 28. You know, I, I had read through this week, chapter 29 in preparation, and uh, I just was not getting the sense that there, that was something that God was wanting to speak to us at that time. I'd encourage you, if you are participating in the challenge, still to take some time today and look at chapter uh, 29, and then, of course, tomorrow, and our challenge ends on Tuesday with chapter 31 as we get to the last day of January. Um, but I had felt that, that this topic, this topic of being bold is something very important that we must understand and that's crucial uh, for you guys to be able to not only know, uh, but hopefully to walk in. So I'm going to read to you Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, and I'm going to pray uh, for God to bless our time today, okay? Sound all right? All right, look with me in your Bibles, Proverbs 28, verse 1. It's not long, but it is powerful. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Well, Father God, as we come to your word, God, we know that you want to teach us this morning, that we're not just here uh, for, the sh for the show, uh, we're not just here to punch our religious time clock and uh, just show up and, oh, we, we'll check it off the list. We did our religious duty. God, we are here to worship you. We are here to draw near to you, knowing that you would want to speak to us your eternal word. 
And so God, we pray that you would create in us a boldness like a lion, that we would be bold and unashamed in our relationship with Jesus, and you would use us in every area of life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, Proverbs 28, verse 1. Now, there's two parts to this. As there have been with many of our Proverbs, there is typically a contrast. Um, but uh, I've, I've talked with you guys before about one of the, the pastors here at the church. His name's Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris is um, one of our pastors who is dedicated uh, to people who can't make it to church. He's dedicated to people who are... Um, typically in some way have an illness or something that makes them uh, a shut-in or something where they they physically can't get to church. And so what does he do? He goes and visits them during the week. He encourages them and prays for them. Uh, If someone is uh, in the hospital, he'll go and visit them. Uh, He he is solely dedicated to that while other pastors uh, do that. That's that's his job. But he's very funny and uh, he's a a great guy. And he, about this verse, uh, he often says that he, doesn't, he never runs for exercise because it is the wicked who flee when no one pursues and he doesn't want to be associated uh, with the wicked. But I guess that wasn't funny, but that's okay. Now we have a familiar contrast here. Some of you guys are still processing. You're like, I don't understand. That's okay. Ask me after service. So we have a familiar contrast here though with this verse and that's between the wicked and the righteous, the wicked and the righteous. Now, remember, these contrasts are helpful as they are put side by side and they highlight the differences. Now, we need to understand what this verse is saying and what it's not saying. Now, we all know or know of someone who would be in that category of a wicked or sinful or evil lifestyle, and they were extremely bold. And so it's not to say that there are no wicked people who are bold. And it's not to say that there are no righteous people who act with timidity. So Solomon isn't making an absolute statement as much as he is communicating that there's something about the wicked lifestyle that causes fear, that leads to fear. And there's something about the righteous lifestyle that leads to boldness. Okay. Let's first talk about the wicked. Now, what are we talking about? Are we talking about just super, super evil people? Uh, The wicked is a broad category of anyone that is living a life apart from God and his law, that, that, that they are engaged in, in a, a a pursuit of, of what they want and have no care for what God wants. This is how many, many people live today. Uh, Jesus said it's actually the majority. That's why he talked about that narrow is the road that leads to where? Life. And broad is the way that leads to, do you guys know what? Destruction. So he said that, meaning that there are more people that go down the path of wickedness than go down the path of righteousness. And what we're told here, and I want you to get this picture in your mind, the wicked flee when no one pursues. That they have a reality about their life in a sense that they are constantly on the run. That those who live a sinful lifestyle live on the run. In a sense, they're always looking over their shoulder. 
So much so that they feel this guilt and conviction that even when no one is directly coming for them, they run. The wicked flee when no one pursues. Because what torments them is the concept of, listen, owning up to their own actions, facing up to what they have done. This is why those who say that there is no God, you always want to look at their personal lifestyle. What kind of choices are they making? Typically, it is the wicked who they hate. It terrifies them to have the concept that they would one day stand before a God who created them to judge them. Why? Because they know that conversation wouldn't go very well. Why? Because they know that internally that how they are living is not right, yet they still pursue it. I believe this because God, according to the Bible, has hardwired a conscience into every person, including you. Everyone say the word conscience. Every person who has ever lived has had a God-given conscience. Now, your conscience is, of course, that inner, inner voice. It, it is you. It's not someone unique or different. But you see, God has placed in you his moral law. That's why if someone has never heard the Ten Commandments, they still within them have this ability to, to determine right and wrong. And the wicked live with a guilty conscience, okay? A guilty conscience or a bad conscience. Now they do whatever they can to get rid of that. They, they do all kinds of things. But no matter what they do, it can never get rid of it permanently. Although there are cases where we know that the Bible does say that some people are able to have a seared conscience. You ever heard that before? A seared conscience? Uh, the Bible would also describe it as a hard heart, meaning that it's someone who, who does not listen to this God-given moral compass, this conscience within them. They've rejected it so many times that over time it's become calloused. It's become seared to the point where now they, they actually, that, that, that reality of living no longer uh, affects them because they are so given over to their evil actions. But for the most part, uh, their conscience is the one thing in life they can't get away from. This is why many people who live evil lives that they go to something that can alter their mind. Like what? Drinking, like drugs. They can do something that just suppresses the, the inner voice within them. Something that will give a little bit of reprieve to the inner guilt that they maybe have never expressed, but they feel inwardly. This is actually a grace of God. Did you know? The fact that someone who is living in a wicked lifestyle would have this guilty conscience. That's way of God saying, this is not the way. Turn and turn towards me. But some people will just continue to reject it and they'll try to drown it out with anything they can. That's why oftentimes um, in, in, the, in the world, people will fear the thought of sitting still with just their thoughts. They have to have music on. 
They have to have background noise. They have to have entertainment constantly because the moment that, that they get alone with themselves, the, the inner voice of the conscience is too loud to deal with. And so oftentimes through this guilty conscience, okay, fear is produced. If you're taking notes, you might want to note that down. Through a guilty conscience, fear is produced. That's why we see the wicked flee when no one comes. They're so living in a way that they know is wrong that even at the point when no one's directly pursuing them, they're still in a sense looking over their shoulder. They can't get away from the guilt and the guilt is what produces this fear. This is what we saw with the very first sin. We know that sinful actions produce guilt, which is actually a God-given, uh, you know, uh, a grace that he's given into our lives. Because think about it, if you never felt this guilt or this remorse or this, this feeling of knowing what you did is wrong, then you just keep doing wrong and you wouldn't even know until you're standing before God. See, this conscience is something given by him. But we saw this in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, Right? where we know that they sinned and their life dramatically changed. Before the fall, they had never experienced guilt. They had never experienced shame. They had a conscience, but it was not, not scarred or marred in any way. It was a clear conscience and they were afraid of nothing. They had no reason to be afraid of anything. But what happened? Well, we know that once they sinned, where, what did they do? What did Adam and Eve do once they sinned? Yeah. Directly after. Yeah, they hid, right? They look at each other and like, oh, what the heck? Oh my gosh. And, they, and then they're like, and they felt fear. And so what they do, they hid themselves. That's why when in Genesis 3, 8, it says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The, the implication is that this was something that God did with them, that it seemed like they had this daily personal relationship where God in some way, listen, would manifest his presence and he would walk with them, which to me, walking speaks that he had, he had legs. So whether that's, this is some human form that God appeared to him. Uh, some people maybe think that this is Jesus uh, before he was ever born into the world. But that's a, that's a huge topic that we're not going to dive into. But that God that day that they sinned, he did nothing different. In the sense that he came down and it was the sound that they heard. And so what does it say? And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Listen, everyone look at me. Sin will cause you this feeling that will cause you to run away from God. But I wonder how this day would have gone if Adam and Eve ran to the Lord. If they confessed and they repented, I wonder how our entire lives even now would have been different. We don't know. It would be all speculation. But you see, when you sin, you have this guilty conscience and before God, it causes you to run away from him. And that's why the Bible has to instruct us, hey, when you sin, don't run away from God. That's the worst thing you, to do, you can do. Run to the Lord. But they hid themselves. But why? 
It's not that God came down. He knew what happened, right? Do you think God was like unaware? No, he came down just like he did. He wasn't running after them or pursuing them. He just, he did what he did. But what changed? Their own conscience, that within their own mind and their own heart, that their guilt bred fear. They had this now fear, and so they ran, so they hid. And this is what happens. The wicked flee when no one pursues. It creates this feeling of, I'm going to get caught. There's this fear of one day being exposed. And so listen, it is an easier thought to think, I'll never stand before God because God doesn't exist. I'm the judge of my life. Because in that thought, you can, they can begin to ease themselves with the thought that there is no God. Does that make sense? So the wicked flee when no one pursues, but differently, the righteous are different, right? The righteous still have a conscience like the wicked, but it's been cleared. It's been wiped clean. And so rather than running, that's the picture of the wicked. They run, but the righteous, no, no, no. The righteous remain. They are able to stand bold as a lion. They don't have to look over their shoulder. The Bible calls this freedom. And that's what Jesus does. What Jesus does when he takes away our sin at the cross is he clears our conscience. He clears it. He clears our sin and so then clears our conscience. They know, the righteous know that they're good in Jesus. They know they have nothing to hide, nothing to lie about. They know their maker and they know that it is their creator who has become now their redeemer. Now we gotta understand that the righteous person though is not the perfect person. Okay, so if you look at that and you're like, oh man, the righteous are as bold as lion? Well, I guess I'm out because I'm not perfect. No, no, that's not what that means. The righteous person is the one who allows God to give him the righteousness that can only come uh, by him that is given to someone's life by faith. We saw this with Abraham in the Old Testament. We know this is a fact in the New Testament that you can't live a righteous life apart from God. And so what God does to the one who is righteous is they, they look to God for that. God makes them righteous and then they seek to follow it living a righteous life. And so listen, every one of you who have put your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, what that means is that Jesus's righteous or right life that he lived is now yours. That was the trade. Your sinful life became his on the cross. His righteous life became yours by faith. And so now in God's eyes, listen, you are righteous. You're like, I don't feel righteous. You are righteous. Now, Now you are simply to walk and live in the right living that God has instructed you. But in God's eyes, you're righteous. You are perfect actually in Jesus. Now, do you still sin? Absolutely. But you see, for the Christian, they no longer pursue sin, but they pursue righteousness. And so this word bold, if you're taking notes, it means confident and secure. That the righteous are as bold as a lion. It means that they are confident and secure. And even more specifically, Solomon said that this right, this righteous boldness 
is like a lion. He gives an illustration, if you will. He gives an example. And really, Solomon could not have picked a more bold animal than the lion. And so I have a little, little video for you guys on a lion. You, you want to you watch and listen about the boldness of a lion? All right, put your eyes to the screen. This is the North African lion. Its fancy science name is Panthera Leo, but it prefers to go by its street name, the king of the jungle. Lions are one of the boldest, most feared animals on the planet, and for good reason. A male lion can weigh over 400 pounds and can grow to be over 10 feet long. They can run 30 miles per hour, jump 12 feet high, and have 30 razor-sharp teeth that they use to tear through their food. Lions have several unique traits that make them different from other large cats. The male and female lions are easier to tell apart than most others. Females have a long, slender body, and males have broad shoulders with a long, dark mane. The darker and fuller the mane is, the healthier that lion is. Lions also live in a group called a pride that can have up to 30 lions in it. They spend most of the day sleeping, but when they're not sleeping, it's time to hunt. Lions have a very distinctive style of hunting. Most predators hunt through stealth, trying to stay completely hidden from their prey. But lions do things a little differently. At the beginning of a hunt, the male lions will stand up and let out a ferocious roar. This terrifying sound can be heard up to five miles away. It lets everything in the area know that it's dinner time and the lions head out to chase down their prey. Think of it like a warning signal, almost like the start of a really hardcore game of hide and seek. Ready or not, here I come to eat you. Tag, you're it, and you're dead. At the end of the hunt, the lions roar again. Almost as if to say, if we didn't eat you tonight, good luck tomorrow. Lions aren't timid. They're not sneaky little scavengers. They're tough. They're brave. They are bold. So when the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion, that sounds pretty good to me. The Lion, nature's Chuck Norris. There we go. Lions are pretty legit animals, no? I, I think the part that stood out to me in that video is how they literally give a warning when they're about to come and kill you. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty intense. Like, they are so fearless that they'll give you a five-minute warning that goes five miles long. And then they also, if you, know, if you didn't get caught that day, then the next day or that, then after they're hunting, they roar again. Um, Proverbs 30, 30, you'll find this tomorrow in your reading of the Proverbs challenge. A lion, which is mighty among beasts, and does not turn away from any. So it's pretty clear that the lion is not afraid of anyone or anything. It doesn't run away from enemies, it runs toward them. And this, of course, illustrates for us a contrast, a sharp contrast, where the wicked constantly live in a state of fear and the righteous live in a state of peace and as a result produces boldness in their lives. You guys seeing the contrast here? Now for the wicked, it makes sense that they flee when no one pursues. It makes sense that they fear. They should. Why? Because the Bible warns about a sinful life. Numbers 32, 23 says, but if you do not 
do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. This is a general principle that the Bible says about sin. The one who is living in a consistent sinful lifestyle. This does not refer to um, a, a, pers- a life that pursues righteousness and of course still sins. This is talking about willfully choosing, I know this is not what God wants and I'm gonna do it anyway and I'm gonna do it consistently. Then the Bible says your sin will find you out. Another way to put it is that eventually everyone's sin catches up with them one way or another whether that's in this life or in the life to come. And sometimes God does that. Sometimes on this side of eternity, God allows sin to be exposed, to be made public. But sometimes it can seem like the wicked person is getting away with it, right? The Bible often will ask the question, uh, people, writers of the Bible, they'll ask the question of why do the wicked prosper? Why does it sometimes seem like the more evil you are, the, the greater benefits in this world you have. Well, it makes sense when you know who the prince or the king of this world is, which is of, course, uh, is, of course, Satan. Now, it'll find you out is the idea that, listen, it won't stop your own sin, your own actions won't stop until it hunts you down and exposes you. And for all of us, this isn't like a... a you know, this like threat, this is the reality that whether it is in this life or the life to come, this is a reality for the one who lives a wicked life. And so they should be scared. They should be fearful. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God who is a consuming fire. He will not turn a blind eye to sin, which you and I should say amen to because he will right every single wrong. He is a just and good judge. But for you and I who live righteous lives, we don't have our sin following us. Why? Why do we no longer have our sin following us as righteous, as the righteous? What do you guys think? His name starts with a J. Jesus. Jesus. Why? Because your sin stopped tracking you down when it was dealt with. And sin cannot be dealt with with in any other way other than the cross of Christ. And so the Bible says what was against you, the law of God that was against you, Jesus took having nailed it to the cross. And now it would be like if if someone hired a bounty hunter and your head was on the line, you were the picture in the wanted sign. Jesus tore up that sign. Jesus said, I will take his place. Now that sin does no longer follow you. But what, what does follow you? Well, Psalm 23, 6. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, the righteous do not have sin or guilt or shame following them, punishment. No, just the goodness and mercy of God. I love this. Psalm 139 verse 5 says, you have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. This is fun. That word hedged is the idea to surround, to guard. And the Bible says that God has not only gone before us, but he says, hey, I got your front and I got your back. 
He says, I have your 12 o'clock and I have your six o'clock. I got, I got you all around. My hand is upon your life. And so what does that do for someone? When, when God says, hey, I'm in your corner. When God says, hey, if, if, if someone comes against you, then they come against me. He associates with you and I. He says, I have your back. And that, that right there, listen, is what creates the boldness within the righteous. The righteous are not bold because of themselves. Now, a lion has boldness and partly because eh, it's, a, it's a bad cat. I mean, it's, it's an animal that you don't want to mess with. The, in and of itself, right, them being potentially 10 feet long and hundreds of pounds, jumping 12 feet high and all the, all the rest, like that's not an animal you want to mess with. And so it has boldness because of itself. This is where the illustration fails in the sense of you and I, we don't have this boldness because we're so bad or we're so great. No, we have this boldness because of the great God in our lives. David puts it this way, Psalm 27 verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, both of those are rhetorical questions. The answer is obvious. If God is my salvation, who am I going to fear? No one. If God is the strength of my life, who do I have to be afraid of? What's the answer? No No one. It is because of him, his light, his salvation, his strength. And so if we have him as our God, then what that can cause in us is a certain boldness. Now, remember what we started with back on January 1st, our very first study in Proverbs. We talked about a certain topic that day. Does anyone, anyone remember January 1st? Yeah. Fear of the Lord. Exactly. Remember, it was the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge. That's the starting point. The reason that that's the starting point is because when you fear the Lord, meaning when you walk in the fear of God, you have respect and reverence for him in your life. We talked all about that a handful weeks ago. Then you will fear nothing else. Do you guys hear me? When you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. This is what Jesus talked about. Jesus said, why do you fear him who can only kill the body? Why do you fear any human that the best they could do is take your life on this side of eternity? He said, rather, you should fear him who is able to kill both body and soul. Meaning that there is someone that is much greater than any human. His name is God. And he has the power of life and death. And listen, if you fear God, then you have no reason to fear any man. Now, This is why you and I can boldly say, as the author of Hebrews says, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because God says, I'm in your corner. I'm on your side. I have your back. I am your helper. I am with you. All the promises of the presence of God. We can ask the question, 
kill me? That's the best you got? That's nothing. Because if you kill me, Jesus said, though he may die, yet he shall live, he who believes in me. So listen, the worst thing someone can do to you is actually one of the best things that can happen. You're like, how would you, how dare you say that? The Bible says to live is Christ and to die is, do you guys know? Gain, Gain. meaning it is better. Now God still has us here. God has numbered our days and we'll get into how we are to live a bold life for him. But listen, the worst thing someone can do to us only gets us closer to Jesus. And so since God is for us, who could be against us? But you see the wicked, they don't have this. Listen, the wicked don't have anyone in their corner. They don't have anyone watching their back. This is why they run. This is why they, in a sense, flee when no one pursues. This is why one who is living a lifestyle away from God in sinful wickedness needs to fear. They should be afraid because it will catch up with them and no one has their back. But you and I, no, we live different. Psalm 37, verse 25, David, who is now an old man, he looks back on his life and he says, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. God says, I will take care of my own. And so listen, this boldness that the Bible talks about comes out of a recognition that God is with you. This boldness isn't something you have to make up, okay? What I'm not telling you to do is before you go to school tomorrow or do whatever you're doing, uh, that you look in the mirror and you just tell yourself, I am bold, okay? What the Bible is saying is not this self-motivation, that you just seem to mustered up in yourself and you seem to hype yourself up and get bold, get loud. Boldness is not loudness. Boldness is not pride. Boldness is not arrogant. There's a difference. You see, the wicked, they display arrogance and pride. They will often display, well, I have it all together, but they don't. They, they don't at all. And so what we're talking about with boldness, it's not arrogance, it's not pride, and it's not a personality thing. This is, this is cross personality. So whether you're more of a quiet person or more of a loud person, boldness is something altogether different. That it, it is for anyone and everyone who understands their place in Jesus. I want you to write this down. Boldness comes from the blood, Okay boldness comes from the blood. And of course, we're talking about the blood of who? Jesus, the blood of Jesus. The reason that you and I can be so confident that we know where we're gonna go when we die is because of the blood. The, the reason that we can be so confident that we know we have the truth that changes lives is because of the blood. This is why we can come and we can assume, listen, when we pray, we can pray with boldness because of the blood, all because of Jesus. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, everyone say boldness, boldness. to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us, that through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near 
with a true heart and full assurance of faith, we can know, we can be bold, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Remember, we talked about that. And our bodies washed with pure water. You see, God uses an evil conscience, a guilty conscience, to draw you and I toward himself. The first word of the gospel is to repent, to confess your sins, right? If you know the the ABCs of the gospel, it is to admit you are a sinner. Now, the only way that you could admit and acknowledge is by that internal conscience saying, yes, I agree because of because of God's word. But what God does is, listen, he takes, look on the screen, he takes your evil conscience and what does he do? He sprinkles it. The idea is that he washes it clean. Now, this is something that some believers have, have a hard time reconciling and living in. That is the reality. But some people, they get saved. They know Jesus, but they still live with guilt. They still live with shame. They still live with this idea that they're condemning themselves. Listen, everyone look at me. This is important. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and you know you're his, then God never wants you again to experience shame, guilt, or condemnation. That's why he says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so he wants to replace our condemnation, our guilty conscience with confidence. First John 3, 21 says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, what do we have? We have confidence toward God. The opposite of condemnation of heart is a heart of confidence. And that's what God wants you to have. Not confidence in you, but confidence in him. And guys, I'm telling you guys, this is the best way to live. The best way to live is with a clear conscience, knowing that you are good with God. Knowing that when you die, that you're gonna be with him. It gives you a freedom that you cannot find anywhere else. You can't buy it. You can't, no one can, can give it to you other than experiencing it in Jesus. And that's why it's, it's, it's sad when we allow past sin to dictate how we currently feel. It's sad because God says, no, I've dealt with that. Your sin is no longer tracking you down. I took care of it all. And I don't want to see you guys raise your hands, but I know because I I talk with you, there's some in this room that you experience this condemnation, this guilt, and the Bible calls it torment. And you are allowing past sin to torment you now. He talks about it in the next chapter of 1 John. We looked at 1 John 3, but 1 John 17 and 18, I want you to follow this for a moment, okay? It's really important. Love has been perfected among us in this, meaning God's love has been completed in us in this. This is how you know. You want to know if if the love of God has been matured in you? 
It's the fact that you will have boldness in the day of judgment, meaning that you look forward to that day with Jesus and you're like bold about it. You're excited. That's how you know God's love has been perfected in you. But if you have the thought of, man, I hope the rapture doesn't happen today. I I hope I don't see Jesus today. Then you are living in a tormented state and God wants to free you in his love. Look at the next verse. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It throws fear out of the way because fear involves torment. This is how most people live. They live in fear-tormented lives, not knowing what's next. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So here's the secret. If there is that fear, if there is that guilt, there's that shame, God says, I want to replace it with my boldness. And the only way that that's going to happen is you being perfected or matured, completed in his love. Now, what what does that look like? The reality's already happened. You are made righteous. You are, your, your slate is clean. You will never pay for your sin again if you're in Jesus. But now you just got, got to get your heart and your feelings to match up with the reality. And how do you do that? Well, it's by the word of God. You need to believe what God tells you. That's, it's, it's, it comes by faith. And how does faith come? Hearing the word of God. And so to be perfected in the love of God is to believe that God loves you, that his love has got you and has covered you. And so I wanna encourage you guys, if this is something you struggle with, if you lack this boldness that we're talking about today and you experience this fear of of Jesus coming back or you experience this fear of of having having to pay for the penalty of your sins, first of all, you wanna make sure you're in Jesus. How, How do I do that? Well, put your faith and trust in him. Admit that you're a sinner, believe, and confess him as Lord, right? The ABCs of the gospel. But then after that, if that's still something you struggle with, then you need to get the reality of God's love in your life. How do I do that? Find verses that talk about the love of God and put them everywhere. Put them as your screensaver. Put them on a sticky note and put on your bathroom mirror or your... Or your a bedroom door, somewhere where you're going to see it, you need to be washed by the word of God because there's still some remaining shame that he wants to clear from your conscience. You need to be perfected in the love of God. Why? Perfect love casts out fear and God doesn't want you to live with fear. He's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and you guys know the last one? A sound mind. Sound mind, meaning that you have this this stability and calmness knowing that you wake up in the morning, I'm in Jesus, so everything's gonna be okay. You go to bed at night and you you go to sleep knowing that, well, if anything happens during the night, I'm in Jesus, so it's all good. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. But how does this look on a practical level? I want to spend the rest of our time kind of talking about that, about this, because what we've been talking about so far is an internal reality within your conscience, right? And listen, before you're going to have boldness displayed out of your life, you need to have God allow him to do that boldness 
inside your own heart. And that's what we've been talking about. That's the idea of perfect love, casting out fear. So listen, you're settled inside. You're bold. You know, when I die, I'm with Jesus. I know this is the truth. It's settled. doesn't mean you never have doubts, but that for the most part, man, you, you by faith, you are trusting in God for all of that. But what about on the outside? How is that displayed? Well, we're going to look at a, a few verses from the book of Acts. And we're going to see that this boldness as a lion is to be displayed in the way that not only we live, but quite specifically in the way that we speak and in the way that we speak it. Have you guys ever read the book of Acts before? Raise your hand if you've read the book of Acts. No shame if you haven't. You just haven't got there yet. There's still time, okay? Read the book of Acts. If you're like, ah, I don't really know what to read in my Bible, like come February, read the book of Acts. Um, amazing. It's the early church, right? You guys know, you guys know what happens. The, the book of Acts is where Jesus in the first chapter ascends to where? Heaven. He ascends to heaven. And so, and he says, hey, wait for the Holy Spirit, the power from on high, because y'all going to need it. So he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to send him to you. And so the disciples who are kind of timid guys at times, they get filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which was a time uh, 50 days after um, the Passover, 50 days after Jesus had died and rose from the grave. And so Jesus is in heaven. He gives them the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts is exciting because they get bold. It's almost like they just can't stop talking about Jesus. It's made such an impact in them. It's just flowing out. And it's flown out to anyone who will listen. And so I want to I share with you guys Acts 4.13. Acts 4.13. So Peter and John, they go to the temple to worship. Okay, They are now filled with the Holy Spirit. God's doing crazy things. There is like thousands of people who just got saved because Peter preached this message. And it's amazing. You got to go check it out. But then now they, they go and on their way to the temple, they come across this man who was lame from his birth. He was, he was disabled and he was asking for money. And basically Peter and John were like, hey, we ain't got no money, but we got a Jesus. And so rise up and walk. And the guy gets up and he starts jumping around and it, it causes this crowd to come around. And so Peter's like, oh, well, there's a crowd. Well, let's talk about Jesus because... I'm bold now. No, he didn't say that. But he's got the Holy Spirit and has created this boldness in him. And so he preaches. Thousands of people get saved. And guess who's really mad about it? Oh, yeah. The religious leaders. They're all, all, uh, all upset. And so they take Peter and John. They arrest them. They beat them. And it says that they kind of have this little conference together. And this is from their perspective. Okay, this is what they see as the religious leaders. And uh, Luke commentates on this uh, here in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They couldn't believe it. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. They look at Peter and John and they say, this doesn't make sense. We just heard the message that Peter preached. It was all Bible. 
He's never been religiously trained. These are Galilean fishermen. How is this happening? And notice the conclusion they came to. Oh, they had been with Jesus. What a great reputation. What a great thought. They realized, oh, they, reckon, they saw the same boldness that Jesus had, they saw in them. And so what gives us boldness? I want you to note this down. Proximity to Jesus. Closeness to Jesus. I believe the closer you get to Jesus, the more bold you become. Remember, that doesn't just mean loud and obnoxious. That's not bold or pride and arrogant, proudful and arrogant. But it, what it does talk about or what boldness does speak of, we see in the book of Acts, is a willingness to be used by God. And if you want to be used by God, even if you're the quietest person, he is going to use you by the righteous life you live alongside the words that you say. The closer you get to Jesus, I'm telling you guys, the more you just want to talk about him. The closer you get to Jesus, the more bold you will be. But then I want to show you just a few verses later, they get released, okay? So they, they realize this, they beat them one more time. They say, don't speak in Jesus' name. They say, yeah, right, Peter and John leave. And they come back to the rest of the believers and they pray. This wasn't something that they assumed that they would always have, but something they prayed for. And I think this is good for us to look at. Acts 4, 29 and 31 says, now look, Lord, uh, now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, that they may speak your word. Have you ever prayed for boldness before? I'd encourage you guys to. Listen, there is, in all of us, there can be a, a fear and a timidity to share Jesus. But there doesn't have to be. That God can grant you boldness. But have you ever asked? Like, oh, I'm just a quiet person. Like, I'm more just like, it doesn't matter if you're quiet. God says, I want to use you as my mouthpiece. It doesn't mean you have to be loud and obnoxious, but are you bold for Jesus? And if not, have you prayed? Have you asked? And this is something that Paul prayed for. He knew he needed. In Ephesians 6, after the uh, armor of God section, Paul asks for prayer. And he says, and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He's asking for boldness. He's in prison for sharing the gospel. And what's he asking for? Boldness. That I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Listen, then this goes for just about everyone in here. No, it does go for everyone in here. If you want to be used by God, the primary way will be what you say and how you say it. And if that terrifies you, then you bring that terror to Jesus and you ask him to be bold for him. And you pray a prayer genuinely, God, make me bold for Jesus. In my class of unbelievers, make me bold for Jesus. In my family of unbelievers, make me bold for Jesus. And heck, in my family of believers, make me bold for Jesus. And you better believe he will answer a prayer like that. Now, we don't have time to get into all the time in the book of Acts um, deeply that this word boldness is mentioned, but I just want to go through it 
lightning speed fast. Okay, so don't write any of these references down. Just look at the screen. Okay, you ready? I'm gonna show you, I just wanna show you just as an overview how many times God says that this person is speaking boldly in my name, whether it was Paul, Barnabas, check it out, okay? Acts 9, 27, but Barnabas took him, this is speaking of now Paul, newly converted, and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him, how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 13, 46, then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. Everyone say bold. bold. Okay, so when that word comes, then I want you to say it out loud very boldly, okay? Acts 14, 3, therefore they stayed there a long time speaking Holy. in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. Acts 18, 26, so he began to speak in the synagogue, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Acts 19.8, and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly. boldly over and over again. God's people spoke boldly the word of God, putting Jesus on display. The reason that you still, if you're a believer in this room, the reason that you still have breath in your lungs the reason that you woke up this morning was to be used by God to be bold for Jesus. Why? Because there are people who do not follow him. There are people who have an eternal destination of hell in their path. And God says, stand there and don't let them go. He says, they might climb over you, but you make sure they know that don't let them go to the grave without knowing about me. Now, of course, listen, anyone's salvation is not on us. It's not our message. It's God and his message. All our job is to do, God just says, can you stand there? Can you be bold? Can you tell them that the direction that their life is going without Jesus is nowhere good, but that God wants to intervene in their life to speak boldly the name of Jesus. The righteous are able to be bold as a lion because of him who saved us. It is the lion of Judah who enables us to be bold like a lion. And I want you to write this down. It doesn't come from within. It comes from him. Okay. This boldness that we're talking about today isn't something that you will find deep down that you need to get off and and, and go to a remote destination and, and, and you don't come back till you're bold. No, it does not come from within. It only comes from him. It isn't pride, it isn't arrogance. It is a settled confidence and security knowing in whom you have believed and it will cause you to live differently. And we'll close here with Philippians 1 where Paul says that he would be unashamed and that his desire is to live with Christ in all boldness. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And check out the boldest statement you can make. This is the boldest statement you could possibly make in your life. And it is this, for me, for to me, notice it's personal, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
that concept, that phrase for someone who does not know God is an insane thing to think. You tell a non-believer that death is gained to you, they're going to they're gonna make sure you're okay. They're, they're going to have to call, call the police on you or something. What do you mean death? Does he want it? No, I don't want to kill myself. I, I love Jesus. And so if I'm going to live, however many days God has me on this earth, I'm going to live for him. And when I die, it only gets better. That type of boldness will be a witness to the world. And it does not come by you finding confidence in yourself. The world talks a lot about self-confidence. Oh, you know, we want to boost their self-confidence. No, we need to boost our God confidence and it will naturally, supernaturally work our way out into our lives as we have the understanding that if we're going to live, if, if we wake up with breath in our lungs tomorrow, who are we going to live for? Jesus. And if God ceases to take us home, who are we going to be with? Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this is the cry of our heart. We want to be bold for Jesus. We don't want to get to eternity with regret, wishing that we would have stood for him, wishing that we would have just told one more person, God, that wherever we go, whatever we do, would we do it all in the name of Jesus? Would you, Lord, be always upon our lips? Would everyone that we come in contact with know our love for you and your love for them? Would you use the boldness of our witness as a testimony for those that do not believe? God, and that you would grant us boldness in the, in the moments of opportunity, whether it's in line at the grocery store, whether it's with a beloved family member who we've known for a long time, whether it's at school, whether it's with friends, we know that this boldness, is we just don't have it. But God, we know that in you, we can do all things. And so we pray that you'd grant to your servants boldness like a lion, that we might be used by God. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.